We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. How about that hurricane? Over the weekend, slamming into the Louisiana coast. You know, we're going to get the remnants of Hurricane Ida midweek this week, Wednesday and Thursday, and it's going to totally change the weather pattern. By next weekend, Labor Day weekend or this upcoming weekend, highs in the upper 70s to low 80s, lows in the upper 50s to low 60s at night with very low humidity. Uh, I'm starting with weather, I guess, uh, today. Um, I didn't intend on doing that, but I'm sitting here in my studio recording this podcast, watching uh, the Weather Channel, uh, and remembering uh, yesterday as I was tuned into a, a lot of it during the the weekend. Maybe many of you were as well, watching Jim Cantore use all of his strength to fight off the winds of Hurricane Ida, as in one of the shots, a couple of dudes in t-shirts were like five yards behind him, and they seemed to be barely even phased. Uh, It seems like, as I record this podcast, that New Orleans got off pretty lightly compared to what some of the fears were. They've really built that city up, the levees, um, to handle uh, this kind of, of category for Hurricane after 16 years ago and what Katrina did. Uh, but uh, it it makes for really compelling television, incredible ratings. I don't know if you guys know that. These hurricanes are gold for the networks. I know that they are obviously benefiting from tragedy, um, but the, the, the ratings this weekend for the Weather Channel and for CNN and those that were covering Hurricane basically, you know, minute by minute will be through the roof. Weather events always do that um, for television networks. But I do hope that everybody, um, you know, did much better than anticipated. I know some of those areas like Homa, Louisiana and Grand Isle um, really took the brunt of it. And I'm sure that even in the New Orleans metro area, it wasn't great. I don't even know why I started with weather. I think one of the reasons was, is that again, this upcoming weekend is going to feel like the beginning of fall. It's not technically the fall, Uh, It feels like fall when we get to Labor Day weekend, uh, and with Labor Day weekend comes the beginning of football season. Now, we had a couple of college games uh, over this past weekend, but I can't wait for football season. I'm talking about real football. The preseason is over, thankfully. And man, did NFL teams handle the first three-game preseason in a variety of ways. I have no idea which way was right and which way was wrong, and perhaps there's not even a right or wrong answer to this. Ron Rivera's way was to sit everybody Saturday night against the Ravens to ensure they get to the opener on September 12th against the Chargers healthy. John Harbaugh took the other route and lost his starting running back, J.K. Dobbins, for the year to a torn ACL. Tom Brady was out there with his defending Super Bowl champion team slinging balls against the perceived worst team in the league, Houston, the other night. Aaron Rodgers didn't take a snap in the entirety of the preseason. Nor did Justin Herbert, who will start for the Chargers here on September 12th. He and pretty much every other star player for the Chargers sat all three games. While Buffalo's Josh Allen the other day threw 26 passes on three drives in the first half in Buffalo's win over the Packers. I mean, we could sit here and argue and debate and discuss this topic and which way is right and which way is wrong until we're blue in the face. I'm not really interested in it 
Very rarely, if ever, do we get into this kind of discussion, end of regular season in December or January, I'm talking about, oh, if they just would have handled August differently. Unless, of course, there's like a serious August injury in a preseason game, like J.K. Dobbins, or worse, if you were to lose you know, a starting quarterback, a really good starting quarterback that has season-long implications. But anyway, we get real football this weekend with a full slate of college games, and then the NFL season opens up September 9th, a week from Thursday night in Tampa, the reigning champs against the Cowboys. That game, by the way, is going to be an absolute television ratings monster. Brady and the Buccaneers against the Cowboys on Thursday night football to open up the season. Um, it's a game that's going to be interesting for us and for the division. By the way, uh, if you care, and I do not, the NFC East won just one game in the preseason. They were 1-11-1 overall. Uh, Philadelphia had a tie, a 31-31 tie um, the other night. The the lone win in the division was Washington's thrilling 17-13 win over the Bengals um, a week ago. Uh, A Bengals team without Joe Burrow playing for Cincinnati. Uh, On the show today, on the show today, the second part of my conversation with Santana Moss, a lot of you reached out to tell me how much you enjoyed the first part from Friday. Today, you'll hear him for another 30 minutes tell stories, including one about Sean Taylor. He's also going to share his thoughts on this year's team and how good of a season this team uh, will have this year. So that's coming up uh, shortly. A heads up for later in the week, the first smell test of the year. Year 16 for the smell test. 11 winning seasons, four losing seasons. I finished last year. I was looking at this the other day because I remembered that I really finished up strong in the playoffs. Um, I was 9-4 and four in the postseason last year. 4-0, and 4-0 oh, and oh on Super Bowl Sunday. I gave out the Bucks. I gave out the under in the game, in, in the Super Bowl. I gave out the under in the first half, and I gave out the Bucks in the first half. All four of those hit. I also went 3-1 and one on conference championship weekend. So it was a 7-1 and one finish to last year, uh, and that locked up another winning season, record-wise anyway. I'm very aware of the percentage um, needed to actually win money. Um, but I ended up with a winning season, and that is... Uh, 11 winning seasons, four losing seasons in the 15 years. I can't believe it's been 15 years that I've been doing um, the smell test. So the first smell test of the year later this week, it will be sponsored by our good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. It's safe. It's reliable. It's a cost-effective place to wager. They're matching dollar for dollar on your first ever deposit if you use my promo code KevinDC. MyBookie's got so many ways for you to bet football. You should at least go there and check out what they've got for this upcoming weekend and then week one of the NFL season. Currently, the Chargers at MyBookie are still one-point favorites in the opener against Washington. Um, Washington's over-under win total for the year is still 8.5 at MyBookie. Uh, You can check out all of their NFL prop bets for the upcoming season. Go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin. DC. Just a reminder, subscribe doesn't cost you anything, helps us. Rate us and review us, especially on Spotify and Apple. Uh, rate us five stars and write a one-sentence review uh, telling them how much you like the show. If you don't like the show, then why are you listening? But if you, you are listening and you just kind of like it, um, you know, rate us four and a half stars. Uh, but five stars would be better. And then maybe lay off the review. Uh, It helps us if you can do that. Uh, I've mentioned that before, and I appreciate those that have stepped up and done it for me. Um, It's a a revenue generator for us. Uh, uh, You can sell advertising based on the loyalty and the enjoyment of the show um, in addition to the the size of the audience of the show. So uh, I wanted to get to a few things um, before we get to Santana Moss Part 2. The NFL Network finished up their top 100 players for the upcoming season. That's the list of top 100 voted by the players. And then ESPN just did their own top 100. 
Um, I'm bringing it up because on the NFL Network's top 100, if you recall, um, Brandon Sheriff came in at 98 and Chase Young came in at 61 and there was no Terry McLaurin on the list. And I thought it was a joke because guys like Cole Beasley and um, and Corey Davis were on the list and Terry McLaurin wasn't. Uh, I thought that that was a big whiff on the NFL Network's um, players uh, list. But whatever, it's a popularity contest similar to the Pro Bowl, uh, the NFL Network's list. Well, ESPN had their list. Chase Young came in at 31, 30 spots ahead of where he was on the NFL Network list. Brandon Sheriff came in at 70, 28 spots ahead of where he was on the NFL Network list. And Terry McLaurin was in the top 100. Not only was he in the top 100, he came in at number 73. The NFL Network list had 19 receivers on their list with no Terry McLaurin, meaning that Terry McLaurin, at best, was the 20th best receiver in the NFL, according to you know his contemporaries, the players that play in the league. The ESPN list had Terry as the 14th best wide receiver in the league, and it got me to thinking this morning a little bit more. We had this conversation. I know I've had it on the radio show. Um, but it got me to thinking, you know, just seriously, like right now, where would I have Terry McLaurin? I've guessed between 10 and 15, maybe closer to 15 than 10. And I think 14 is about right. I thought about this and I went through, you know, every single team's roster. And I think there are 12 receivers that I would definitely take before McLaurin. And then I think there are another two to three that would be in the mix with him, you know, where they're sort of coin flips. So, you know, I would have him somewhere between 13 and 15. Here are the 12, by the way. Here are the 12 that I would take in front of him without, you know, really giving it even a a remote uh, consideration of taking Terry over any one of these 12 guys. The first four I put in order of how I would choose them, and the rest, the other eight, are in any random order. But um, Tyreek Hill is one, Devontae Adams is two, Hopkins is three, Stephon Diggs is four. Those are the top four receivers in the league in that order, in my opinion. Hill, I think, is the number one explosive weapon in the league. I think he's the most uncheckable offensive player in the league. And I think his quarterback would be number two. But Hill, Devontae Adams, all right, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs are my top four in that order. And then in no real order, the next state are Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas when he's healthy, obviously, Mike Evans, D.K. Metcalf, and Amari Cooper. Those are the top 12 for me. I wouldn't think twice I would take those 12 guys before McLaurin. Now, then you get into the Justin Jeffersons and the Calvin Ridleys, and, you know, we can start to debate. But I I think, you know, the list that ESPN has with him coming in at 14 feels about right. These lists are fun to debate. I think on that list of receivers that I would take in front of them, all of those guys have better quarterback situations than Washington. All of them. You know, maybe with the exception, I guess, Allen Robinson's QBs in Chicago. You know, Justin Fields could turn out to to finally be the answer for Chicago at quarterback, even though Dalton is starting the year. Um, but I think every other receiver on on the list of twelve that I would take, other than Allen Robinson, has a great quarterback situation. And the point is that all of those receivers are talented, but they pretty much all have good to great quarterbacks. You know, there are guys like Terry McLaurin that you would start to think about, you know, in the next year or two if they, you know, get better quarterback play. Guys like Jerry Judy in Denver, DJ Moore in Carolina. And there are a few more that with better quarterbacks would be a part of the conversation too. Anyway, Terry McLaurin gets some preseason recognition, which is great. And if you're paying attention, he clearly produced in a situation last year that was much different than the situation that most of those guys ahead of him or even slightly behind him on those lists had. I'm looking forward to a big year for Terry McLaurin. You know, he is one of this team's A-level talent players. Think about this. McLaurin, Young, Sheriff, Sweat, 
Tressway are all no-debate, A-level category NFL talents. Five of them on this team. I think you could say the near same about Deron Payne, but I'll let that one slide. I'm not going to mention Fuller or Jackson yet, but Fuller is close. Five A-level players is the most for this franchise since 2000, maybe since 1991. When we have a conversation evaluating this team, you know, comparing it to any teams in their recent past or teams that they will play this year or compete with this year, you can start by saying they've got a chance because their roster has more elite-level talent than it's had in forever. All right, a couple of things Washington football team related or a couple of more things. I want to let you know something. I want to let you know something that I learned um, over the weekend and then a few things that I think about the Washington football team. Um, First, what I learned. Ron Rivera said yesterday about the final roster and the game on Saturday night that four jobs were available going in to that game the other night against the Ravens, and that six may have been determined. Nope, not true. That's nice of him to say. It builds up the competition level, and it makes it seem like they were sweating it out the other night, evaluating every block and tackle and drop back and pass pro and kick return as as if the competition was so close in so many spots that the game that we watched the other night that was dreadful to watch and that they were coaching in was somehow the determining factor for up to six roster spots. No, it's not true. They had 51 to 52 locked and loaded before Saturday night. Perhaps, perhaps one to two spots may have been determined on Saturday night or a day or two leading into Saturday night. And maybe one of those could be an injury-related determination. It's nice to say to the players you are releasing today, tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, or today and tomorrow, Um, Hey, man, it was so close. And by the way, I'm not debating that it was probably very competitive at a lot of positions. What I am telling you is that Saturday night did not determine six spots. You're really naive if you believe that to be true. Um, That's what I learned over the weekend. Uh, A few things that I think off of this weekend. Um, That sounds a lot like... um, that Peter King column where he used to say, you know, things that I think, uh, I think the, um, the, uh, the grande blueberry tapioca latte at Starbucks is really good. Um, anyway, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I I think a couple of things just off of this weekend, just a couple of random thoughts. I think that Troy Apke is going to make the roster. You know, that's not a final 53 man take for me. That's a week and a half ago take when it wasn't that popular. Um, and I just think that there's no chance that he gets cut. And maybe he's already cut by the time you listen to this, but that's what I think right now. I also think that they want very badly to keep Dax Milne. You know, it's a matter of DeAndre Carter, AJ, AGG, um, and Milne. You know, two of the three make it. The third, they try to bring back to the expanded practice squad. I, I think that's where they are right now. If 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 a spot was determined the other night, um, I think it's in this particular area. And I don't know if it was tomorrow night or Saturday night that it was determined, but it was probably a couple of days leading in to Saturday night. Um, and then maybe something from the game Saturday night turned somebody you know definitively in one direction or the other. Uh, but I think that they really want to keep Dax Milne. So I think if he makes the team, it's not going to be a massive surprise to me. Uh, Lastly, if you missed the show yesterday, I think uh, DeAndre, I think Dustin Hopkins is safe. He's your kicker today, tomorrow, September 12th, September 16th against the Giants. And then, you know, they can reassess if he's got a bad start to the season. They would have 12 days between the Giant game and the Buffalo game um, from that Thursday night to the following Sunday if Hopkins has a rough start 
to the season. Many of you reached out to me um, on Twitter, uh, and even a couple of friends of mine said, what about the guy Joey Sly from Carolina that Rivera coached? He got released by the Panthers. Uh, For those of you that really like Sly, he's got a huge leg. But he hasn't been that great either. He's made less than 80% of his field goals. And he missed, and I remember this, because I had Carolina on the money line this day. He missed a 28-yarder in the Superdome in 2019 against the Saints that would have given the Panthers a huge upset win. And at the time, it would have given them a winning record heading into the month of December. They would have been very much in the playoff race in the NFC. Instead, they lost that game. They lost the next game, which was to Washington, and Rivera was fired. Up next, something Ron Rivera said about Landon Collins last week, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The second part of my conversation on Friday uh, with Santana Moss coming up. I wanted to play some sound that I meant to play for you on Friday from Ron Rivera and offensive coordinator Scott Turner. First, this was Ron Rivera talking about Landon Collins and sort of the culture of the roster. Listen carefully. Landon Collins talked to us yesterday about how so much has changed in his time here, and you guys didn't come in at the same time, but how he noticed all the construction you've done with the roster. Where do you think you are as you mold this franchise the way you want it to be? I think we're, we're headed in the direction we want to be headed, and we like the quality of the young men we have on this football team. Um, you know, we believe these are guys that fit the way we want to do things. You know, Landon's done a great job, you know, uh, adjusting. I mean, he's, he's gone through three different systems. You know, he started, um, you know, somewhere else and ended up here. So he's a guy that we feel really good about. Um, I appreciate the fact he's noticed it because, you know, one of the things we are trying to do is we're trying to change things and, and, and put things in a position where, you know, we accomplish what our intent is, and that is to, to, to build a sustainable winning culture. And, and, and hopefully he can continue to be part of it because he's done such a good job for us. Landon Collins came around to the Rivera way. You know, he knew that it was either the Rivera way or it was going to be the highway for him. That's a good sign. You know, it's a good sign of growth, maturity, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think he's got a chance to have a major impact on this season. For a team that was inconsistent in their run-stopping defense last year, he could be a big part of it. He could be a huge playmaker for this team. I think, like, defensively for them, he is one of those, like, he's a major wild card. You know, if he ends up being the player that they hoped he would be when they signed him to the biggest deal ever, What a game changer for this defense to have that kind of a player added to what they have already. I also, you know, for Rivera and and that answer that he gave, we've heard starting last year and, and maybe even increasing this year, him refer to sustainable winning culture. I've talked a lot about this in the past, that the NFL is designed for any team in any situation to have a good year. But one good season does not make a good franchise. 
you know, sustained winning over a period of time makes a good franchise. But to do that, you've got to have the right cultural philosophy that leads to not just bringing in good talent, but good team players, good people, people that you can sustain winning with. Who knows if it ultimately works out? The owner is still here, and he's been a two-decade destructive force working against sustainable winning culture. But Ron Rivera gets it. He's totally capable of being the right guy right now in the right moment for a franchise that's been in the dark ages for a long time. He's totally capable, if left to his own way of doing things, to take this franchise out of that darkness. He can do it. Let's hope and pray that he's allowed to do it his way, you know, over the next few years. Dan, leave him the F alone. You had the right guy with Marty. You screwed that up. You had the right guy with Joe, and while you think you stayed away, you and Vinny were too involved in personnel. You had the right guy in staff with Mike, and you've got the right guy in staff with Ron. This time, please, God, stay out of it. Go get on your boat, stay there for a few years, and come back and see what this group did. This was another Ron Rivera quote that I was going to play for you um, on Friday, but we ran out of time. He talked about the maturity of the team that he's building and the benefit of playing the games they played at the end of last year. Listen to this. You want to have success early, and you have to have the right kind of success early. And that's one of the things that, and I, I know I mentioned it yesterday, and I'm going to mention it again. It goes to the whole maturity thing. You know, you want to make sure we, we, we are where we need to be maturity-wise. Because, again, if, if we come in with the wrong attitude, we'll get our butts kicked. What do you mean by the right Success. Um, if you have success and it's premature and it builds this, 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 um, this air about you that's not right, you get your butt kicked, I mean, truthfully. But to me, the kind of success we had can be the right kind of success because, and I, I, and I know I talked about this after the season, we played a lot of young guys during some stressful times in seven games in the regular season, the last seven. We won five of those two, and we were in playoff mode each one of those games because you had to win, we had to win, we had to put, it, we put ourselves in the position, we had to win to stay ahead, we had to win to stay ahead. And we did at the end. To me, that's, you know, you, you, you went through a, a, a tough situation. You found an ability to reach down and, 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 and find something to help you get through that. And that's stuff you build on. But if, you know, for whatever reason, we come out and say, we arrived, man, we got this. Then we're not going to get better. We're not going to go back and learn from the basics. We're not going to understand what it takes to get back to where we need to be. That's what I'm concerned about. I want to feel good about uh, when we get ready to play that first game, first regular season game. So there are two things that stand out from that uh, soundbite from Rivera last week. Number one is this: he thinks that the experience of playing those win or go home games late in the season with a young team was a good thing. I totally agree with that. We all talked about that at the end of last year. Some of you wanted the better draft positioning because you thought making the playoffs in a bad division and losing in the first round, that there wasn't much benefit to that. He does. He thinks there's benefit. I agree with him. Playing in those pressure late season games is a great experience. However, and this was the second part of the sound clip that I wanted to discuss. He also recognizes that each year is its own entity. I mean, I've talked so often over the years about the NFL being a week-to-week league. Well, we know that so much changes year to year. I mean, all you got to do is look at every single season and, and, and there's a team that inexplicably goes the wrong way or the right way from the year before. And it's not always because of major player changes or coaching changes or, you know, big time injuries. Sometimes it's just the team that you saw last year isn't the team that you see this year for whatever reason. You see that every single year. You know, if you look at last year, Houston Houston was a playoff team that had a 24 to nothing lead in a playoff game, you know, in the 2019 season at Arrowhead. 
and then they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. Philly went from a playoff team in 2019 to a four-win team in 2020. Now, with them, it was a lot of injuries. Miami went from tanking in 2019 to 10-6 and six and on the doorstep of the playoffs last year. And then Washington, obviously, 3-13 and 13, to a division winner um, and a team that was playing pretty good football at the end of last year. Minnesota went from a Final Four NFC team in 2019 with an exceptional defense to one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year and a seven-win non-playoff team. It's like this every year. And Ron understands that while there's huge value, which I agree with, in getting that big game feel, experience, you know, the benefit of playing with pressure to win or go home, he also knows that that feeling of that you've arrived because you were in a playoff game last year is a killer. You know, especially when you haven't arrived. It's a recipe for a step back year. I just think this guy gets it overall. Um, Is he a great coach? Probably not. Does he, in combination with his staff, equal a top-tier staff? Probably not, but it's much better than it's been. And it's probably a top half of the league, worst case, top half of the league staff. I think beyond the X's and O's with him, he understands the people part of this. Which, by the way, Joe Gibbs always understood. He's an NFL lifer. He's got NFL lifer experience. He's always been in pretty good situations and situations that built in his mind the important the importance of not only, you know, good players but good people and coachable people, and he has stayed with that discipline. I don't know. I I there's certainly um, you know, something to Ron Rivera uh, for me, and I don't. I know it's not totally there for all of you. That's fine. I think there's an identity with him. You know, there's certainly an air of discipline with him. There's a toughness. There's a a no excuses, a my way or highway uh, element to him. Not in the same way that Marty Schottenheimer was, because I think Ron has a much better bedside manner than Marty. Um, but I like what's happening here as of now. You know, it's subject to change, as always, with this organization. And I still think that this year they could be a better team and not get the same results. But I would be surprised if at the end of this season that if I didn't still feel like this is the right direction with a good man leading it. Scott Turner um, said something the other day prior to the final uh, preseason game. And it was uh, a little bit of what I talked about earlier in terms of, you know, uh, this preseason game on Saturday night didn't really determine six spots. You know, it just didn't. Um, He was asked actually specifically about wide receiver. Listen to his answer. Hey, Scott, you guys have a lot of depth at wide receiver. What are you looking to see out of in the third preseason game out of some of the guys who might be on the borderline of the roster and not making it? What are you looking at for out of them? Yeah, you know, I think the easy thing to see to say is, like, guys making plays, but there's a lot more than goes in, that goes into it than that. Um, just overall kind of doing things the way that they're supposed to be done. I mean, we're a big believer in process over results. You know, uh, you, you might get results doing something the wrong way, um, but that's not a long-term, you know, situation, long-term situation for success. Um, so just looking at guys, you know, you know, running the routes the way we, we do it. Uh, you know, a guy might be getting separation, but for whatever reason, protection or whatever, we're not getting him the ball, you know, so he doesn't get any catches. Um, so just the overall body work, how they approach the game, you know, kind of, you know, we're evaluating more than just the games. You know, the games, we've had three of them, and on though we're playing a lot of guys, so there's limited reps. Um, you know, we see these guys day in and day out in practice and how they conduct themselves. And then the big thing that happens in the games is – you know, see how guys handle it, you know, because the intensity does crank up a little bit. It's not quite the regular season, but, you know, all of a sudden the lights are on and you're in the game setting. And there's not any coaches on the field and some guys, you know, it's, it's a little bit too much for them. So how do they handle, you know, those situations? That's kind of the, the next test, you know, in a guy when they're coming up. I think that answer was very instructive uh, to all of us. We, we can't watch these preseason games and sometimes even regular season games and think that we really have a good feel for everything. He was answering a question that was wide receiver specific, but really his answer applies to everybody. The value of playing the games 
in preseason is just to see how they react. Make sure they don't get stage fright. They already know and can evaluate these players in training camp practices, and in some cases even going back to OTAs and minicamp. Uh, there's not a lot in these games that change opinion, unless, again, somebody gets major stage fright, and they're like, oh, boy, uh, that's disappointing. Uh, he looked great in practice. He looked great in the layup lines, but it didn't really pan out uh, in the game. All right, when we come back, uh, the final third, 30 minutes, the final 30 minutes of my conversation with Santana Moss the other day. If you enjoyed the first part, I think you're going to enjoy this second part even more, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we'll finish up the show today with that final 30 minutes of my conversation the other day with Santana Moss. He was great. If you missed the first part, just go back to Friday's show uh, titled Santana Moss on Everything. Um, This was Santana Moss, the final 30 minutes. He got into some interesting storytelling, and uh, he had some thoughts on what the team this year uh, would do this season. Here it is. I've always thought of you... In the same way that I used to think about Daryl Green as a longtime, you know, lifelong fan of this team, from this perspective, when you went back on a punt return, it was a big deal. It was like they need him, they they need somebody to make a play, and you did. You were an excellent punt returner. Daryl Green didn't do it as much as you did it in your career, but every time Joe would stick Daryl back on a punt return, it was a big moment. And you felt like every time he was back there, there was a chance that it would break and that he would take it the distance. And I always felt that way about you on returns. If you had been a full-time punt returner your entire career, how good would you have been? Would you have been one of the best? Um, you know me, I'm going to always be, you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I, I believe I'd have been one of the best. I think my skill set was that of a punt returner. Like, I can make a guy miss in a phone booth, and then I got zero to 60 better than, I don't know, I, I don't know too many guys have a zero to 60 gear like myself. You know, that was one of my things. That's why when I ran track, I was good in the 60-yard dash. I was good in the, you know, I, I ran first leg for our four-by-one team because, I get out the blocks faster than anybody. Um, I still only, you know what, folks ask me time and time again, what is this one thing you regret about your career? The only thing I ever regret, and I never shared with no one I'm sharing with you first, I didn't continue to do punt return throughout my whole career. And I'm going to tell you why. In New York, you got to think about it. I was an all-pro, first-team all-pro, my first year playing as a punt return. Yeah. No one talks about that. It's several touchdowns. You know, no one talks about that. I led the league my first full year. My first, my rookie season, I was hurt the entire year. I played the last four games. But my first full year, my second year in the league, I led the league in touchdowns, and I was the first team all-pro. I was a, a, a Pro Bowl alternate. I was I was snubbed, but it, it was cool. I'm not tripping. I was so young, I didn't even care. <laughs> right. But in New York, the special team guys knew Santana's back here. We're going to fucking do everything we can we can do to make sure he get to where he got to go. And that's all I needed. When I got to Washington, I didn't think those guys cared enough about the person who they had back there. And I told myself I refused to play or put myself, put my career on the line because I thought too also as a punt returner, 
that's taking a lot of, you know, snaps out of me, you know, down the line. Like I want a long career. And I felt the more punt returns that I, I, I endure, that's going to be less years that I have to be a receiver or elite receiver. I was trying to be the elitist all, of all elite receivers. And I'm like, man, all the, all the elite receivers don't do punt return. And even though I wanted to do it so bad, I was like, you know what? This is what the, this, this offense, this is what this team needs me more at as a receiver. Well, was it your choice? Would they have let you be the primary punt returner if you had said, I want to do it? No question. They was mad that I wasn't. You know, they was who, who was mad? All of your coaches? Oh, more more so uh, Mike Westoff. Mike Westoff was okay. pissed off with me in New York. But my decision in New York was way different from my decision in New in uh, Washington. Because we when they brought in Randall L, obviously, to to be that guy in two thousand six. Yes, exactly. But I think uh, Danny thought that hey, even though we bringing in Randall L. Tanner, you have something different than Randy L. Don't have, see, Dan, Randy L was a guy that was going to juke you. Right. Juke, 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 juke. Then I get open. Then he's going to tire the tire the guys out. Now he now he's off to the race. I'm one step downhill and I'm 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 gone. Your mama, if she blinks, your daddy, if he blinks, they going they gonna miss me. I'll be in the end zone. <laughs> that was my that was what I did as a punt returner. And Danny loved that. And everyone, you have to love that if you're you know special teams coach that you got a guy that can really return a punt in a blink of an eye. And I knew I had that, but I didn't think I had the guys in front of me to 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 save my body enough for me to be as lethal as an offensive threat. Also, you know, yeah. I felt like the hits I was taking already early in those two years of playing some of those reps as a punt return, I was like, oh man, I, w- I didn't get hit this hard in four years in New in uh, um New York. I felt in New York I was doing things and I was barely getting hit, and now I'm I'm taking crazy hits and guys are all out of their lanes and I don't got guys blocking. So that was the reason what made me not want to do it as much in Washington. Now I did want to do it from time and time again. I just wish that I would have had the right kind of guys with the mindset. Like, look, man, that's protect Tanner because he can put up six in the blink of an eye. Do you remember though, do you remember towards the end of Randall L here? My, my memory is it almost looked like he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, do you agree with that or not? I, I can't agree with it because I'm not, I'm not even sure. At the time when he left, I don't even think I was thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I, I, don't, I can't recall. I remember that year, his last year with us, because uh, I ran a punt return back for us that year. Yeah, against Detroit. Yeah, against Detroit. And I remember that's when me and Danny just talked that week, like, Tan, I want to put you back there once again. And I'm like, cool, you know, because like I thought punt return always got me to be that much lethal, you know, when I didn't get the ball as a receiver. You know, like that's one of the reasons why I loved it so much when I was in um, college, because if I'm not getting the ball, then I'm going to make something happen, you know, as a punt returner. And that's why I regret it a little bit as, a, you know, throughout my career, because it was times in Washington where I wasn't getting the ball enough, you know. And I'm like, but damn, only about to stay back here and court punts. But I can't trust the guys yeah. for me to catch these punts. You know what I'm saying? So, but um, no, I think Randall, you know, we all get to that point where regardless of how you see it, <laughs> right? Our body doesn't allow us to be that guy. Brandon Banks yeah. was Brandon Banks was pretty damn good at it, and he was phenomenal. Like yeah. Brandon Banks, true story, and I'm I'm sure he can vouch for this, and he'll probably tell you this if, if you ever ask him. Brandon Banks outrun anybody, and one thing I told him about the NFL is that. All these guys will find the angle to run your behind down. So you have to put something else in your game. Once you break free, you have to cut cross field because it's going to be a guy, too, that's going to set in it. They know your speed, so they're going to make sure that they have a, a nice angle on you. So Brandon Brace would break one and never score. You know, he scored his first touchdown when I told him to cut cross field. He did it, and he got a touchdown out of it. True story. Yeah, he had um, – I'm looking at his numbers right now. He only had one career return. It was his first year in 2010. It was on a kickoff return, but he had a lot of long returns. Like a lot of long returns. Like yeah. He, he tried to outrun everybody, and I told him, I said, Brandon, it's, it's but so often you're going to outrun the whole you know, kickoff team or punt team. You have to eventually know how to set them up and say when they think they got you, put that foot in the ground and get back on the other side. So that was, that was his problem. I told him he would have had about six of them throughout his career, his, his short career, if he would have just, you know, did that from the start. 
Interestingly, um, his one uh, return for a touchdown was also at Detroit, uh, like your last punt return for a touchdown was. Um, All right, let's get back to this team for a minute. How good do you think this team is this year? Where do you think it'll finish in the NFC East? This is a good question. Um, I know people want to hear the, they're going to dominate, they're going to this. I I don't necessarily look at it like that. I I think they're going to be a good team. Um. Can they win the division? Sure, it's there. It's there for the taking. Uh, what's going to allow me to know? I think you asking me this question now. I couldn't give you the answer you want. I think the best way to say it is that if they can stop the run on defense, yeah. it's going to be trouble. I, I would say that because they, they're going to score touchdowns. You know, that's what folks are talking about right now. Oh, I haven't seen enough in the preseason. Look, I've been in preseasons where we scored a heap of touchdowns. And in the regular season, we barely fucking score 14 points a game. You know right. what I'm saying? So, trust me, that's that's nothing. You know, eventually they'll get their stuff going. You got to think, preseasons, a lot of guys that's not playing, a lot of offense they're not putting in. Everyone's going to start clicking when it's time to click. So, they're going to score on the offensive side. But if the defense can stop the run better than they stopped last year, it's going to be scary for any opponent they face. Because, to me, I think that was their Achilles heel last year. And that's the only thing that allowed that defense not to be dominant and a little bit too in the secondary. And I think they they got both of those areas um, um, a lot better this year. So I'm not even going to speak on the offense. If they can stop the defense, I mean, stop the run better, you can see them as the top two team, the top favorite team to um, win a division and be, you know, representing us in the playoffs. I totally agree with you. I think that that was the Achilles heel teams that wanted to run against them last year did. Leonard Fournette ran right through them in that playoff game. And that's why they went out and drafted Jamin Davis and 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 hopefully have strengthened up that back seven because they've, they've got to be better. They, people like to call them, Santana, an elite defense at this point. For me, and this is old school maybe, but if you're not a great run-stopping defense, you're not, you can't be an elite defense. They're nowhere near elite. And then one of the things I would say too is that, you know, when Chase, and I see him coming to this play already, when he realized how dominant he is, I think he knows. But when he really – you're seeing in this game more so than just him sacking guys. When he realized that the attention that I'm getting, I can get every guy around me off. And he started taking advantage of those opportunities instead of him just saying, hey, I want to go make this sack, that he say, okay, let me do what I do and now set the edge or – you know, allow, you know, sweat to come in on the backside or allow, you know, I nighted them to, you know, have one-on-one in the inside. That's going to take this defense far too because he's that kind of player that he's going to get a lot of attention. We saw last year, they one, one, one game, it was three players on this guy. You know what I mean? Three, three linemen trying to block this kid. And I think he was just flat out trying to sack the quarterback a lot. I think every player evolves second and third year to see that if I'm not doing the things that make me quote unquote, the elite at that position, the way those elite guys also become elite is by playing the game within the game. You understand what I'm saying? Like you don't necessarily yeah. have to go. And, and last year showed that, that he didn't have to have a whole heap of sacks to be, you know, considered one of those guys, a pro. Oh, he impacted every single game and he wasn't completely healthy at the beginning, beginning of the year. And I think now I know he has to see, have watched film and see how dominant he is. He don't have to watch field to see that, you know, basically. But I know he see how teams try to attack him. And if he can really say, okay, I can play a game within this game with these guys and allow them to think I'm doing something different, but just to get my other guy to get to the quarterback faster. You understand? So um, I watch him a lot, man. And I just see – because I saw Montez Sweat kind of evolve last year. I told a guy to – I say, hey, you know, Sweat going to have more sacks. So he's going to have more sex, and primarily because of you have a chase on the other side that people's going to pay attention to. But I also thought that having another year under your belt, you always you're, you're that much smarter and and that more confident in what you can do. And I think having the season that Chase had last year, his confidence got to be through the roof. But I hope his game is, has evolved and know, knowing now that I don't necessarily have to be that dominant of a of a, a guy to go got the sacks. Cause they're going to come to guys like him. You know, it, it, he's a, he's a, he's a magnet for quarterbacks. He, he's going to get his sacks. If he don't pressure and try to force, I always had a saying, and I don't want to get too long winded with it. 
always had a saying as a receiver. You asked me this question earlier about, you know, how many times did I tell a quarterback right. that I was open? I wanted the game to come to me. Yeah. I never wanted to pressure the quarterback, the offense, no one into saying, let's give Tanner the ball. Because if you allow it to come to you, you're ready for it. And that makes you mo that much more in that zone when it does come your way. So that's what I'm saying about Chase. If he allows the game to come to him, he's going to have one of those. I see him already having one of those games this year, three sacks. And we're going to be talking about, oh, my God, this guy have three sacks in one game. Yeah, with a forced fumble and, you know, two yeah. deflections. of pass. Yeah, and by the way, I agree with you. I think Sweat could ultimately end up having more sacks, uh, I think, than even Chase Young. I've got one more for you, and then I'll let you go. You've been so generous with your time. Which of the two games is your favorite uh, here in D.C., uh, is the most memorable? And maybe you're going to add another one to this list. Is it the Monday Night Miracle, the two touchdowns from Brunel in the final few minutes in Dallas to win on Monday night in 2005? Or is it that Jacksonville game the next year where I think you had three touchdowns, including the 70-yard you know, catch and run in overtime from Brunel uh, to beat the Jags? Which of those two, and maybe you've got another one, is the most memorable? memorable game you played in dc i have two that's a great question i like that because i always ask folks what they saw in the watch the, the Monday night miracle game that was that game that was a disaster until those <laughs> until those plays right yeah. the, the two games that i had my best performances in the two games that's and i have probably can, can can say this about five games but two of them that stand out to me is jacksonville at home and Giants in 05 at home on, on, on Christmas. Oh, yeah, when you had to win it. Yeah, on Christmas yeah. Eve. Yep. Christmas Eve, I had three touchdowns. I'm a, I'm a Christmas guy. I love that holiday. I love the holiday season. That year was already, like I told you before, 2005 was magical to me. Uh, finally getting the chance to be, you know, the guy and getting the, you know, getting the love from my quarterback like Mark gave me. Did that game on on Thanksgiving, I mean, on Christmas, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Yeah, you had to win – you guys were part – that was part of that five-game winning streak at the end of the year. You had yeah. to beat the Giants, then go to Philadelphia, which was the Sean Taylor game that we remember on New Year's yeah. Day. But yeah. that game on Christmas Eve, remember, it wasn't just Mark. Patrick Ramsey came in because Brunel got injured. He won too, exactly. But the reason why it stands out to me is because, remember I told you all that year, they would give me plays to run. Right. Nine routes and – my second touchdown was a route that they saw someone else do. And they asked him, Tanner, can you do this? Yes, coach, I can do it. And I did it. And I remember out running the ball. The ball was thrown a little behind me. And I just, like, gracefully turned my hips and caught the ball and then went the other direction. And the defender looking at me like, man, he didn't just do that, you know? And so it, it's, that game stands out a lot, man, because of the time of the year. And I remember people had the signs, uh, Santana Claus. It was just a magical game and a magical season. It was it, it was such you know here's why it was also magical for a lot of us Santana is that it was Joe Gibbs it was his second year we were in a playoff run Gibbs you know Gibbs is one of the all-time great December January coaches in terms of his record that was his hallmark like they always his teams always played their best football at the end of the year and so here he is in year two and we're surging towards the playoffs we destroyed the Cowboys the week before yeah. you know at home and in maybe one of the loudest environments FedEx field has ever had I'll never forget being there that day it was a four clock 415 start or whatever and then the giant game on Christmas Eve you know it, you couldn't lose you had to keep winning or you were out and the Giants were in it too that year you know they were a decent team they were going to the playoffs as well and you guys rolled up 35 points and you had three touchdowns on that day and then the, the New Year's Day game was of course memorable because that was the game where Sean Taylor had the fumble return at the end to, to clinch the game um okay. Yeah, that was a good one too. I mean, I mean, that season, man, it was like a oh, blur. Yeah. But thinking back, man, like I trust me, like I say, see, that's one of the things about me as a player. I never dwell. Like I, I hate being that guy. Like fans are, like me. I hate being <laughs> that guy. Yeah, I, I, I literally, you know, my folks would tell you I would come home, and I tape every game. So because I want to come home and I go, I fast forward right to my plays because I want even the plays I messed up on. I just, I, I have to see myself. And then I look at it, and I already have my head riding home what I did, right or wrong. So I want to see it on tape to see how it looked. Once I see it, when we go to work the next day and the 
coaches show us from the blimp version, you know, the I'll copy. Yeah. There's, where there's no noise and all that stuff. That's the that's the only times I see those games. And now I'm on to the next week. And whatever happens is behind me. I don't dwell on it that week. I don't talk about it. My my folks, my family know how to call me about it because I felt so pressured in being the guy that I wanted to be that I couldn't sit and dwell on good or bad moments. And I think it, it helped me have a great career because I uh-huh. felt that, you know, I'm able to talk about it. Now that's why I love doing these shows because I get a chance to talk about myself a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think great athletes and great competitors and people that play um, sports at the highest levels, those that succeed are not rearview mirror people. It's looking forward. I mean, you guys don't dwell on these things. A lot of players aren't even football fans the way we are. Um, But uh, so that's not surprising that you were that way as a player. Do you, I've got I got a quick trivia question for you because I'm thinking about that 2005 season and I'm looking at right now those final five games. You had to win all five to make the postseason. The first win in that five-game winning streak was at St. Louis against the Rams. Do you know who the starting quarterback of the Rams was that day? Patrick, Fitzpatrick. It was. It was his first start. I remember that game. He I remember that game vividly because that was a game I was ticked off, and um, I got a, I got a, a, my famous uh, quote that I tell folks about Sean Taylor. Me and him sat next to each other in in the team meeting room and on the planes going to um, going to our trips. And that game, I wanted to get off so bad, and I was open so many times, and I probably had one or two balls. That I'm not sure. I'm not even sure, but I was ticked off on the flight back, and Sean kept n- tapping me on my knee. He's like, "Bro, what's wrong?" And I'm like, you know, I was one of those guys. I've always been a guy. I don't cry about it. I might pout and be pissed. But, you know, after I do that, then I'm going to back, back to normal. And Sean was like, see, that's your problem. You need to get off your chest. And so I'm sitting there like, bro, watch out. Don't touch me no more. That's just how you know, we back and forth. And he say, no, bro, get off your chest. You're going to talk to me tonight. And that's how Sean, and, and you got you to gotta, you gotta understand, this is my first real time, right? Like, this year is my first time really being around Sean. Like, Sean played with my younger brother at at UM. I didn't play with Sean. So I'm not really knowing the Sean Taylor that everybody else knows. I just know he's from my school and he's a phenomenal talent. So that whole year I'm getting to know him and we're bonding like it's no no other. Like Sean is a good guy. He's always like to talk about different things that you won't even imagine a guy of his nature talking about. So he hit me like the third time, like, bro, get off your chest. And the way he got me to speak up about it is that he told me a story about himself. And he said, man, you know what? I know why you are mad. He said, guess what? I'm going to tell you what happened to me in the game since you don't want to tell me, you know, what's going on. You know, coach got mad at me, man, because I was sticking the tight end. And, you know, he wanted me to be head up on the guy, but I jumped on one side. And the coach was like, why did you do that? You know, I want you to be this way on this guy. I want you to, you know, we were in this particular defense, so I need you to play the tight end this way. And Sean said, you know what I told the coach? Man, I don't give a fuck because I'm going to bust his dick. (laughs) (laughs) Which co- was it? Was it was it one of the Washington coaches or was it a, a Miami coach? No, this is this is in Washington. This oh, okay. That, that particular game. Oh, that for that game. game, for that he Rams game. Out. He got chewed out about something he did. Oh, okay, game. got it. And whatever happened in the game, they kind of let it go because Sean did just what he said he was going to do. He, he told the guy apart. <laughs> got caught the pass, but I think the guy fumbled or something happened because Sean, you know, decapitated him. Right. So he was like so. You know, so basically what I'm trying to say is, man, do what you do, man. Like, screw what they talking about, man. Just play the game how you know how to play the game and just be able to live with the consequences. And so I say that's easy for you to say because you don't have nobody throwing you the ball. And then I opened up and I told him, you know, what happened to me. Basically, I was like, look, man, I've been open and I'm not the guy to, you know, scream about being open. I'm a receiver. They watch film every day of me. They know I can get open. So why I have to come in the game and tell you when I'm open when you see this already? You know what I'm saying? So right. that was my whole thing that I told him, but it, that conversation struck a nerve with me, me and him, and we had a bunch of those talks, man, all the way up until his last days with us, man, that, that we will always just get stuff off our chest, and I, I have to give Sean a lot of credit because I wasn't the guy to to, to, uh, to out, you know, be an outgoing speaker about things that I had going on. I was always holding in, and he got me to do that. Was that one of those Hennessy shot games? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> See, that's the crazy thing about it, man. I'm I'm glad you asked. Like I say, I love. Well, the, Clinton's told those stories before. Yeah, with but me. See, not even that. Like, okay, so what folks fail to realize is that 
it only became a story because so many of us did it. You know what I mean? Well, Clinton always told me that it was you. It was the you guys. It was you, yeah. Sean. It was you, Sean, and him that yeah. would do a shot of Hennessy before the yeah. game. Yeah, but that that particular time, no, that wasn't a game. Okay. But secretly, I had been doing it for a long time. You know, like I've done that thing so long to where it wasn't even a thing. It became more of a thing when when, when me Porters and Sean did it together because I was like, oh shit, we we all we all on the same boat. You know what I mean? We all can do this. Right. Still be productive. So. That's when, you know, it kind of stopped being rumbles in the locker room and guys were like, hey, man, because I'm going to tell you the first game that we did that, surprisingly, people don't know it. I'm not sure if Clinton ever told anybody. The first game we did, I think it was a Sunday or Monday night game at home, 2006, 2005, when um, Clinton and Sean got fined for the socks. Remember they had the sock game? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 2005, we played, we played the Eagles at home. And I rode with Portis to the game. Um, and that's one of the things about FedEx Field. You kind of park in that. Right, that, that lot back that by, the t- lot. by the ramp to go down, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the parents and, the, you know, the players' families are already out there, you know, tailgating. Right. And that's how it started. You know, Portis had a couple of um, – mama brought a couple of um, stuff to the car, like <laughs> – Y'all straight for later, you know, for after the game, put this in your bag so y'all can have them. And me and Portland is like, man, shit, we can have that right now. And we took two to the – I took a little – one of those little, you know, I call them wino bottles because I remember, you know, when I was growing up, the, all the little cats that hang outside of the liquor store, we call them winos. They had the little personal bottles of liquor. Yeah, like in a brown bag. Yeah, not even the brown bag. They're real small. Like, they're oh, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the little mini bottles. They like the ones that you find in a hotel. Yeah, uh, or an airplane. Uh, bingo, bingo, those yeah. kinds. So we downed two of those things, man, and we brought some in the locker room. Clint had to make sure Sean had his. And Sean was like, y'all for real? <laughs> and we were like, come on, man. And on top of doing that, Clinton had designed all our socks. We're going to have all these oh, colors. jeez, I remember that's that. That's the only thing I didn't go with them with. I'm like, look here, bro. One thing about me, I'm, I have, I'm superstitious. I got to wear the same thing every week. I can do all this other stuff we just did, but I'm not changing my socks. And I remember that game vividly, man. We went out there, and the players knew that we did it. And surprisingly, not not surprisingly, but we dominated. Me, Clinton, and Sean had a game of all games, and they came back like, bro, you you casters on, y'all was on hand before the game, and y'all was able to. And, you know, Clinton took it more than what it was. Like, he took it farther by act, by telling them, you know, hey, man, y'all, shit, it ain't nothing to us. Me, I just stayed in my lane. Like, man, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, the sock thing, I remember it irritated a lot of us because it's like it was almost um, a bit – I think we felt like it was disrespectful to Joe, longtime fans. I think that's really the way we felt about it at the time. By the way, there's no way Gibbs knew about the Hennessy shots, right? No, no way. No way, no way, no way. Um, I mean, Gibbs, Gibbs, we didn't even have to – look, one of the things Coach Gibbs wanted us to do, and that's one of the things I was I, I appreciated him, appreciate about him, Coach Gibbs told us stories about guys that he tried to change when he first – his first stint, you know – uh, as a coach, and he said what he had had to um, come in grips with is that you have guys that do what they do. As long as that guy is what you need him to be between those white lines, right. that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Well, he had he had Riggins, he had Dexter Manley, he had Gary yeah. Clark. He dealt he with stories with us about oh, yeah. the guy. He said I had, a, and he didn't even he didn't even call their names. He 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 respected these guys' privacy enough to say he didn't say no names. But he told the story, and already, if you're a fan of, you heard anything about Dexter Manley and all those guys, you'd be like, oh, I know who did that. You yeah. know what I mean? And he said he had a guy, man, that they had to find him one morning. But when he got on the field, he dominated the game. So, <laughs> you know, he said back that moment then told him as a coach, like, hey, as long as this guy line up for you and do his job, you can't worry about his life outside of, you know, what he does because everybody can't walk the same you know, straight and narrow. And Look, you you know this story. You know Jimmy Johnson. The story about you know he cut a guy because he fell asleep in a in a in a meeting in in yeah. training camp. And they said, well, what would have happened if Troy Aikman had fallen asleep? And he said, well, I would have woken him up. Um, and and Gibbs, you know, um, there's a famous story about a game before a Monday night game in San Diego, and I guess they had gotten in there on Sunday. 
before the game, and they came in for a team meeting, and Riggo was wrecked. I mean, totally wrecked. And in the back of the meeting room, Riggo starts taking a piss on the floor, and Gibbs looks down and sees what's going on and then just keeps talking and then never stops and never acts like he actually sees what's going on because it was Riggins, you know? And so it was, uh, that's essentially what Gibbs, you know, figured out eventually. Like you got to let your guys be the people they are as long, as long as they post on game day and they're not, you know, disruptive to the team structure. Um, but anyway, uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I always have enjoyed our conversations, but be- but, but before calling it today, I'm like, you know what? We're going to talk as much about today's team, uh, this year's team, as we are about Santana's career because I don't think we've done that before. But I really appreciate the time, as always. No, I appreciate it, man. Like I said, I get a chance to go down memory lane, man. I I, I miss those days. I only miss the memories. I'm, I I had fun, and it's, it was it's, it's all I got it out my system, so I'm good. But uh. I definitely love going down memory lane and being able to share some of those. Santana's such, he's such a good guy and he's so much fun to work with when I've had those chances. He's going to be a part of the pregame show on 980. Um, and uh, so tune in for that, you know, week one before the Chargers game. Uh, thanks. Uh, we'll do this again soon. Take care, buddy. I hope you enjoyed that. I really did with Santana. All right, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.